You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. We're here to talk to you about the alphabet. You're listening to Cornfield Theology. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean, your pastor of Redemption Hill Church, located in the Des Moines Metro. Thanks for uh, joining us for another podcast. Uh, be sure to find us and like us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts, YouTube or there as well. And uh, hit like, subscribe, hit the thumbs up, smash it, just smash at it. And as I said in the in, in the intro, we're here to tell you about the alphabet. We got the uh, NIV. The ESV. Uh, let's, do, let's do a little game. Okay. I, I said NIV. You said ESV. Okay. And so it's my turn, right? Yep. KJV. RSV. NASB. CSV. Yeah. Oh, I like that one. Uh, NET, that Bible. Um, See, now we're getting to like, there's the message, but that's not. Yeah. Yeah. You got to go with the letters, man. Um, 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 is there, isn't there, uh, what was it? There's like an ASV. There is an ASV. We uh, have it all in our notes, by the way. AMP. <laughs> AMP. Yeah. The Amplified Bible. Yeah, there's a lot. So we yeah. do. You, do you think we get to the entire alphabet? I mean, we got a V. There's no Z. There's not a Z one. Is yeah. there an X? There's got to be somewhere. Well, anyways, we're here to talk to you about Bible translations today. And uh, if you're hearing my kids in the background, it's because they're playing, and we do this in my home office. And that's just the way it goes. Or my dog going, you know, or or the cat. Now we got now we got a cat. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's, a, it's adorable. It's adorable cat. I'm not a cat person until we had this cat. And then all the other cats stay outside. Our barn cats. They kill mice and snakes. I'm only good with cuddly cats. Yeah, this one's cuddly. It's like, it's like overwhelmingly cuddly. It's like, all right, I've ha- I've had my cuddle filled. I like cuddles. Uh, this cat's just up in your grill all the time, but nobody cares about that. You know what I want to do before we get into talking about Bible translations? Go for it. I want to talk about world issues, man. Like, think about all that's going on in the world right now. Yeah. Like I was just like pulling up like a couple of news sites like CNN, Fox, MSNBC. Uh, I'm a big Daily Wire fan, and like. I'm going to like remind myself of like all the drama that's going on in the world. Like Elon Musk trying to take over Twitter. Yeah. How fun is that? Whatever side you're on in the debate, it's like here you have like the richest man in the world. And he's mm-hmm. like, I want you. <laughs> yeah. I'm I, I'm like I go back and forth on whether or not I think it's going to be a positive thing or a negative yeah. thing. But I'm definitely like that gif of Michael Jackson eating the popcorn. That's exactly what I was saying. Like let's grab the popcorn like, and right. just watch the drama unfold. So funny enough, I have no idea what's going on because I've just been watching the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Well, that's another thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I pulled up two of the news sites and they're going over the Johnny Depp Amber Heard. Were they in a movie together? Uh, yes. It was. Uh, what was it called? Yes, they met at a movie. Oh, okay. Um, I, don't, I never heard of Amber Heard. No, no offense, I don't know. Amber. Well, she was uh, the like, redheaded lady in Aquaman. Uh, okay. Right. See, I'm not. That that was her big break. Aquaman, which, by the way, the main guy, Jason Momoa, mm-hmm. he's an Iowan from Norwalk. Oh wow! From Fun the facts. Here in the Fun facts, yeah. But yeah, I've just been I've been watching that because it's like six and six to eight hours so, every day. <laughs> so who's gonna is like is Johnny Depp? What's the case about? Okay, so give me give me like the one minute. It's it's a defamation case. Basically, Amber Heard in I think 2018 wrote a article for the Washington Post, an op-ed, saying that like she became two years ago she became the face of domestic violence or something uh-huh. like that, um, which is basically alluding to Johnny Depp 
being a being. domestic abuser, which caused him to lose movie deals right. and like his life be ruined, according to Johnny Depp's side. Right. I was listening to one audio of it, um, and it was like she didn't slap him, but hit him or something. I like didn't that. punch some, you. I, I that's hit what it was. You. I'm like, and I I'm thinking you. myself, I, didn't punch you. I don't know exactly what my arm was doing, but I didn't punch you. Yeah. I hit you. You're fine. You're being a baby. Sorry, I listened to it a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what's the difference? I mean, I didn't listen to more than that i'm gonna pull up one one news site right now and it's right there in the front page so we got that then you mm-hmm. have you have disney you have desantis in florida oh yeah i heard about he's that. like taking away their special tax status and here, here's the deal like you know as a dude admittedly more conservative i'm kind of like yeah stick it to, we got rid of disney plus sure we're just tired of all we got rid of netflix a long time ago mm-hmm. just the agenda driven nonsense that i believe they're pushing i'm just over it and i got kids man and i'm protecting my kids so when I see something like this, I'm kind of like, yeah, but, but there's like the capitalist in me or the libertarian. <laughs> or like, libertarian. Oh, wait, yeah, that's yeah. more taxes, which I'm against <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> well, not even that. It's like, when does that, when does this stop? You sure. Know? You could take you, away the special tax exemption totally. for churches. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how, when is this going to end? Like sure. this tit for tat thing or whatever. So I'm not sure how I feel about that. What else? When, we got? Whenever, whenever a new weapon gets made, you always have to think about, what would the other side be doing with that weapon? Yeah, essentially, totally. And and that and it's very short. I think politicians should be very short sighted because they're not thinking that. Well, they only have to think two to four years ahead. Right, get elected. So, yeah, it's the next election. So we got that. DeSantis always in the news because uh, one side of the aisle absolutely loathes him. Well, he's he's definitely setting himself for a presidential run. Yeah, it seems like that. Yeah, well, we'll see if Trump runs first. It seems like he, he, Trump can't run. He can kind of like waddle. Yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there. He's old. He is old. Oh, so many old people in politics. Uh, one last thing: mass on planes that happened this last week. A judge in Florida, speaking of Florida, struck down the mass mandate by the CDC. So people are up in arms. Uh, as one who flies uh, in May and uh, not a fan of mass ever for all time, um, I'm happy about that. And hopefully it gets all mucked up in court, and I never have to wear a mask again. So. <laughs> That's where I'm at. All right. Back to Bible translations. That's that's your rundown of the nightly news with yeah, Logan Kane and Sean Yeah, Powers. maybe we should do a news podcast on top of this. Yeah, I'd love the news, man. I'd love staying current. So, man, what do you know about Bible translations? Uh, I know a little bit, not a ton, but I know about the, uh, the different uh, basic philosophies of Bible translations. Yeah. I don't know much about the history, though. Well, what did you learn in, like, your hermeneutics class in college? Um, for hermeneutics, like we cared about, they basically restrict us to what like is considered like committee style translations where it's not like an individual translating the Bible, right? but a group of theologians and scholars working together to translate the Bible, but it's more literal and more academic. So that's what they wanted us to focus on. So like the ESV, the NASB, um, everything like that. Yeah. What do you, why do you think this is an important topic? I think it's an important topic because you need to know, like, you know, the Bible's God's word. Right. And it's only God's word insofar that it's accurately translated. Correct. And so it's it's good to know when these individuals or groups of people came to the manuscripts, what was their idea of yeah. how to translate? Because right. it will help right. you understand, like, where they're coming from, what's the perspective, uh, and in translation, there can be a little bit of an interpretation in that. Yeah, and and here's a here's the thing I think that English speakers need to realize: 
like this is kind of like a luxury this conversation Mm -hmm. you know like i don't know how many spanish versions of the bible exist but it's not like what we have in english sure uh there are languages throughout the world where there are no translations of the bible Mm -hmm. you know in here i mean i'm just looking around you're looking around my office and i'm like and i got an niv right over there i got a csb over there Mm -hmm. got a esv over there yeah you know and it's like then you have those bibles that come we get a logos software where you can have like tons of bibles or shoot there's this guy i met at half price yeah and he was just sitting down in the bible section and was like asking like oh you know is there a specific translation you're looking for he's like i'm just looking for another bible for my collection oh my goodness like he collects Bibles. That is such a I've never thought of it like that. Huge yeah. blessing that we can do that in America. <laughs> what do you do? I collect Bibles. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get it. Some of them are really nice. But. Yeah, interesting. Never heard of that. Well, I think it's important to talk through some of the history, Logan. Sure. Um, which you know me, I love church history. I love seeing the development of things throughout history, and particularly mm-hmm. as it relates to the church. So let's. I'm going to give a quick flyby of that, but then we really need to get into the nitty gritty of like what translation should I read? Mm-hmm. You know, why do I like, we'll talk about, you know, NASB to ESV to CSB. Why there are some translations I tell people don't use. They're not good. And I have strong opinions on that. And I don't know if you have the same feelings, but we'll talk about that as well. So let's just kind of back up first. What's a gold translation? Why, why do we have these English Bibles, you know, and really the goal is to take the meaning of a message from one language to another. And you can easily see this if you take this out of the realm of Bible translation. This is no different than, let's say you um, you travel to another country that mm. speaks another language, and there is English. Sure. You know, let's say in Germany, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, they speak German, but they're trying to take the meaning of bathroom and put that in English, right? Sure. And that goes both ways as well, and and so it's a little bit of what's going on, regardless of what language you're you're moving into and out of. You're trying to take the meaning of one language and put it into another language. So uh, we, I, I, I did this in uh, my THM where mm-hmm. I took theological French. They had made me take a, you know, I did my Greek and Hebrew and I do theological French and I had to translate it into English, right? So I was going through Calvin because sure. he spoke French and I was kind of doing the same thing. What does that Calvin mean here? Because mm-hmm. Calvin never spoke English. Right. And so uh, getting to the meaning of the text was was of utmost importance. So the, so the goal of, uh, translating the Bible, like I said, is to take the meaning of the original manuscripts, Greek, Hebrew, and some Aramaic, and put mm-hmm. it into the contemporary language, whether it's English, Spanish, Chinese, German, whatever the case might be. And that's and that's taken place over a course of many years. And so let's 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 transport back, let's say to the uh, fourth century, and we and we have the Synod of Hippo. Why is the Synod of Hippo important? Well, they had hippopotamus. They, yeah, it's absolutely false. Dang it. <laughs> hippopotamus do not originally from hippo. <laughs> Augustine did, though. He's from hippo. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying Augustine had a hippopotamus. I was no. Like, That's awesome. I like him more now. <laughs> yeah, right? Do you know they're, they're really fast on land? Yeah. Like, when I was in Africa one time, and we were at some, we were staying overnight in some reservation park, you know, some, you know, animal parks there are just basically like, big open land with a big fence around it mm-hmm. acres and acres and acres it's not like a zoo that we talk about think about today anyways we're just driving and like a herd i don't know if they're called a herd but herd of hippos just cross the road and they're super fast on land dang did you know they can't swim what the hell, what do they do then they just float no they sink huh yeah they yeah. sink underwater and they can nap down there too 
Really? Mm-hmm. I like hippos now. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Uh, they also, I think they're one of the animals that kills the most amount of people per year. Wow. Mm-hmm. We should do a podcast on hippos. Okay. So not not hippopotamuses. One joke just boom yeah, sidetracked. Yeah, yeah. Oh, All right, bring back synod of hippo. Basically, what it said is uh, a bunch of bishops got together with pointy hats and they're like, "Hey, these are the books that we're going to have in the Bible." Now there there had been some some inklings leading up to that. Athanasius had his had his recommendation of books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. In particular, he laid out the New Testament, which is what we have today. Sure. Um, but there was you know as you see in church history, things get codified over time through councils. Uh, you know, one easily thinks of 325, um, the Council of Nicaea, solidifying doctrine, and then 381 and 425. So this is not unusual. Uh, so we have that. And then and then going forward, it's like, okay, now what do we do? Well, then we have this guy named Jerome. Jerome. Like, listen, my guy. Mm-hmm. He decided. Actually, what he did wasn't outrageous. Sure. But he took the Greek and Hebrew uh, manuscripts and put it into Latin. Right. Sort of the academic language at Not the time. Not only the academic, but it was the it was the language of the day, mm. right? So many people, you know, in Rome obviously spoke Latin, and so that turned into what we maybe think of as like the Catholic Bible. So mm. when you pick up a Catholic Bible today and it's in English, they're not going out of the Greek and the Hebrew; they're going out out of the Latin, mm. and that makes a massive difference because you're. Now you're now you're another step removed from the original manuscript. Sure, you're going from Greek slash Hebrew to Latin to English. Right, and so you know what Jerome did at the time isn't outrageous, but today with the abundance of manuscripts that we have, one would think like, why do we need to still go from the Latin? Well, with the Catholic Church, they're preserving tradition, right? And the Latin is Latin Vulgates, they're um, like approved or whatever translation sure. or whatever's happening. So, and so this would be the Old Testament and New Testament being put together. Correct. Yeah. So not the apocryphal text. Actually, yes, the Apocrypha text and the Pseudepigrapha. Okay. So the uh, Latin Vulgate kind of takes them all. So the, the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha, just so you know, they're like, so as Protestants, we have 66 books, uh, most Protestants. And then Catholics are like, hey, you know these distant cousins that we have over here? We want to include them. And mm-hmm. That's the Apocrypha. And then you have the cousins that are three or four times removed. That's the Pseudepigrapha. <laughs> they're like, hey, let's include them too. Oh, fun. So uh, it actually, you know, I don't, I don't hate on that. Um, they're not they're not authoritative. They're not inspired. It's my opinion, but they're actually really good history. Mm-hmm. Like you think about the, the Maccabean revolt during the intertestamental period, the four hundred years leading up to Christ. It's actually really informative. I think Maccabees has one, two, three, or four books. Hmm. That's part of the the apocrypha, and it's just good Jewish history. It's like, oh wow, that's important. So, you know, I'm not going to knock it all together from an intellectual, academic, historical perspective. There's there's something to offer there. Sure, but in terms of like authoritative inspired word of god word of god type stuff that's another level so anyways we have the latin vulgate and um when we fast forward so that's like that's like the mainstay for a thousand years right so think up until you know the 14th 15th century kind of right around there Mm. and then we have uh john wycliffe john wycliffe was did something radical um in 1380 he completed what we now know as the Wycliffe Bible. And it, but what he didn't do is go from Greek to English. He went from Latin to English. Mm. But that's just what he had. Sure. But his desire was was in the right place, meaning, hey, not everyone knows Latin. We live in a literate culture. Mm-hmm. So let's just get it into English. Sure. And so that was what he did. And, and like I said, it was revolutionary because he's trying to put the Bible into the native tongue. So it's not just for the high priest, you know, the priests that... Right. 
you know, go to seminary or whatever and learn learn the language. You know, let the let the congregation read it too. Yeah, exactly. I mean that, and that alone continues to be a revolutionary idea. You know, moving on and as we get into Luther. Before we get to Luther, we have another guy named um, John Purvey in 388. He updates the Wycliffe Bible translation, so we're still in the 14th century. And then another guy you may have heard of is William Tyndale. Uh, Tyndale's Tyndale's the one, and I think Tyndale was pulling from Erasmus, if I'm not mistaken, because Erasmus was um, was basically taking the Greek and putting it, you know, into modern language. Right? Sure. He was he was creating uh, his own his own Bible. But William Tyndale, 1526, he takes the Greek and puts it into English. And so he did all the New Testament and some some of the Old Testament. Uh, he couldn't finish his work because he was martyred. Why yep. was he martyred? Because he was doing Bible translation. Yep. So people died over Bible translation, which is just crazy to think about in our day. So Tyndale is a big deal. Uh, Miles Coverdale, so 1535, he did the entire Bible, uh, took it from Greek and Hebrew to English, uh, what is known today as the Coverdale Bible. Then we have the Great Bible. So if you read church history, and you're, in particular, you read about like English church history in the 16th century, all these things are a big deal. Uh, the Great Bible, uh, it basically updates the Coverdale Bible uh, and, and becomes kind of the standard Bible for a little while in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, the authorized Bible is used by the Church of England. And then we have another guy that people don't know, um, but he he's part of the history, William Whittingham. Um, he had the, he loved the Geneva Bible. Mm. He um, basically we ha- he's the one who translated the Geneva Bible. Okay, is that the one you usually find in like hotel rooms? No, that's no what no that's what? that's the uh, oh good news yeah maybe. that's a good news there's another one too there's one like Mormons put in there too like a Book of Mormon well, that's because the Marriotts owned by Mormons yes yes this I heard, this I knew anyways uh, Geneva Bible was well loved it was the uh, one quote here the Bible of Shakespeare the Bible of the Puritans and the Bible of the Pilgrims is the Geneva Bible uh, Catholics did not like the Geneva Bible because the marginal notes were against the monarchy. <laughs> So, oh yeah. So it's not just the Catholics, I suppose. It's anyone who is pro monarchy. And when you get into translation, guess what? I mean, it's going to talk about government. Yes. Yeah. So it's like they were like, "Obey God, defy tyrants." Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, then you get the Bishop's Bible, which is the revision of the Great Bible, and then this is the big one. This is the one that still exists today: the KJV, King James Version. Mm-hmm. Great book on um, the development of the King James Version of the Bible. If you're interested by Alistair McGrath, look it up. I read it a while back, just fascinating about why it was commissioned and how it was developed in a number of years. It was commissioned in 1604, uh, didn't become finalized till 1611. Mm-hmm. What people don't realize who are like the King James, you know, and they're holding that Bible and banging that drum is that it's gone over. It's been through several um, revisions, right? So 1629, 1638, 1769, 1762, 1769. So everyone's like, look at the King James. We're going back. It's like, listen, have you listened to King James only? Oh, what do they say? 1611. What's the argument for the King James Version of the Bible? Um, well, so first off, just to lay the foundation, there is a group of people that would say that the King James English Bible is the only true uh, like authorized. Transla- authorized translation of yeah. the Bible. And a lot of times their arguments for it 
is that when you go to later translations, such as the ESV, there is actually verses missing. Yeah, yeah. There are verses taken out. And they see that as being a corruption of the true word of God. Okay. So they stick to the KJV. So, but we also have to remember they're only uh, going off of the Textus Receptus, right, I believe. Right, right. Different, um, different text family, basically. There's different for the Greek manuscripts yeah. and, and Hebrew, but they they have actually have a more limited number of manuscripts that Correct. it's translated from compared to the ESV. I think the KJV only uses eleven. Uh, okay, I'm not quite sure. Eleven Greek manuscripts. Whereas modern translations try to use the thousands of Greek manuscripts, yeah, right. which which is which is interesting. And and by the way, some manuscripts that go back to or some at least parts of manuscripts that go back to the second century, and and earlier doesn't always mean more reliable. But let's just think about this from a logical perspective. When you have more manuscripts that are corroborating one another, your your um, what you produce becomes more reliable, as opposed to we're going to stick to these. You said eleven, or you can look it up. Uh, you're, you're just more limited in scope, right? So I, I don't under, quite understand the KJV camp. And, and here's the other thing. This is more just a practical thing. Like I remember the first Bible that was given to me was KJV. I couldn't read it. I didn't know it was, it was foreign. And so if you actually want to get the Bible and okay, you know what? I'm an idiot. I get that. I should be able to figure that out. Most people can. I couldn't. And so the uh, the Shakespearean language to me mm-hmm. was so off putting. Now, for those who love the KJV, who love the Shakespearean thing, I get it. You know, we hey, we, one thing I've been learning about homeschooling my kids is like they learn a lot of the like classic poetry that has that kind of language, and I'm like, ah, oh, well, yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, for me, I never really cared for it, and it was hard to read. Hmm. You know, right. it's actually one of my favorite uh, translations because it seems so beautiful. Yeah, okay. I like the old language. Yeah, it's right. not the one I use in my daily, but I like it. Yeah, we'll we'll talk more about that here in a second. Uh, just a quick rundown of the other odds and ends of Bible translations. We have the English Revised Standard, uh, 1881, 1885, NASB, which which is a favorite of mine, 1971, and then updated in 1995. NLT, trash, 1996. The Message, more trash, 1993, coming out hot. <laughs> NIV, wow, <laughs> in 1973. Uh, then 1978, 84, and 2011. The TNIV is also trash for, for translations reasons. Um, cannot believe they came out with the TNIV a while back. ESV, favorite of mine, 2001. I remember when that came out, and that was a big deal. Like, I, we were up in Twin Cities, and, like, John Piper was moving over to the mm-hmm. ESV, and he was doing a big push. And at that time, when John Piper spoke, everyone kind of like, yes, because of all the Piper rights that exist in this world. Um, not because of John Piper, but because of people. Uh, but ESV became really popular really quickly. Uh, Crossway became really popular really quickly, which puts out the ESV. And then we have the CSB, which is um, an, which is an updated of the Holman Standard Bible. So that's a quick rundown of some of the Bible translations. So when we talk about the alphabet, we got a lot of letters covered. Yeah, tons. Oof. Man. So anything else you want to mention regarding the history? You want to defend your KJV onlyism? I'm not a KJV onlyist. <laughs> I just think it sounds nice. It sounds nice. Doesn't mean it's accurate. It, okay, so that's one thing that I actually do want to bring up when it comes to like these different Bible translations before we really get into sure. into the different philosophies. There are differences in, in, in the translations. Like We're not going to deny that, but the KJV is remarkably similar to the ESV. Like like you're not going to you're not going to be missing essential doctrines besides maybe that language barrier right you're not going to be missing essential doctrines by picking up two different kinds of uh bibles for the most part until we get to the paraphrases 
I don't disagree with that. Um, I think when it comes to a more, like if you're going to say to me, hey, the message or the NLT or the KJV in terms of accuracy, I'll go with the KJV. Sure. Right? Because they're really trying to get to the meaning of the original text. Yeah. Uh, but I think it still lacks an overall mm, structure in terms of how it's written. And, and I maintain the way it's written is just so off-putting to so many people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that it's accessible. It's it's not that accessible. That's a, good, that's a good word. It's not accessible at all. Yeah, but it's actually a, a pretty literal translation. Yeah, and, it, and one thing that's going, that was going for, I mean, just as a pro for the KJV, is that it was done in committee. Mm-hmm. It wasn't one indiv- individual like, you know, Michael Coverdale with the Coverdale Bible and like, you know, Tyndale, even Wycliffe. Right. It wasn't just Rasmus. It wasn't just one person. It's like actually when it was commissioned in 1604, they were pulling in a ton of people. Yeah. I was just arguing that, you know, even if you pull, you know pick up the ESV or the KJV or the NIV, mm-hmm. like you're still getting like a reliable translation. Like you don't have to doubt. Do you know what's not in my office? Uh, uh, KJV. Yeah. No. I have no desire to get a KJV. Wow. Well. Looking around all my books. This is why we need a plurality of elders. And one of them will like the KJV. (laughs) He does. He does. Yes, he does. (laughs) Not a fan. Not a fan. All right. Philosophies. Philosophy. Now, when we talk about philosophy translation, it gets to what we said at the outset. uh, What is the meaning of the original text, original manuscript? And so as as Christians, um, Mm. part of our confession of faith, as you know, Logan, is that we believe the Bible is inerrant. Right. And uh, we go to the original manuscripts and we say from these original manuscripts, we have God's word, word yep. right? With the acknowledgement that these things get translated over time. Mm-hmm. And with the acknowledgement, we don't have the originals. Right. However, we have a ton of manuscripts that exist, over 5,000 in the New Testament alone. Yep. Not, not in full, but that could be part of the manuscript yep. or whatever. Like there's there's one manuscript that's like the size of a credit card. Right. But it's also one of like the most important texts in like John. Yeah. And then we have, a, you know, more fuller manuscripts and things like that. So what we find in all these manuscripts, and this is a defense of the Bible mm-hmm. in terms of its reliability, is that when you take all these different um, sources, nothing's contradicting one another. Mm-hmm. One would expect that you'd see some type of doctrinal corruption. Sure. We don't have, or contradictions, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have that. What we see with with all these in part or full manuscripts uh, is that it's just corroborating one another. Yeah. So, which makes, when you have so many different sources to, to pull from, which tells you that the Bible is actually quite reliable in terms of what it's saying. Now, you might sure. not believe that the Bible is inerrant, whatever else have you. What you can say, it's not an accurate depiction of the well, originals. Yeah. Um, there was, uh, so one of our friends, Robin uh, Sutfin. 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 I always forget how to pronounce his last name. And believes with his family, serving uh, the Lord at an orphanage. Yep. Yep. Um, he recommended uh, to me a book uh, by a Londe and a Londe, not related, just two people with the same last name. Uh, that was a critical, critical review of the you know, New Testament manuscripts. Yeah, and yeah. I believe they were both atheists. Okay. And their conclusion was, is you have the original manuscripts yeah. just in, so you have the original writings just in copied manuscripts. Like they're, they're that reliable and they're yeah. that confident. Yeah. And James White also talked about like when it comes to, like some people are worried about you know, when you're copying the manuscripts, things get left out or, or, or maybe some guy intentionally removes something that he doesn't sure. like. But what James White points out is actually um, there's a thing that he calls the tenacity of scripture. Where if, uh, you know, let's say you have your manuscript, but you're back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. You're in 200 AD. 
Yeah. You know, and you're preparing a sermon. And so you write a little sermon note on the side. On the side, yeah. Um, and, but then you die, and that manuscript gets passed on. Mm-hmm. The next person that's going to be trying to copy your manuscript gets to that sermon note. And they don't know, is that a sermon note or was this actually sure. a part of the text that they had to sort of amend and add to the margin? Right. So they'll put that in. Mm. And so it's like things will actually sustain through manuscripts rather than being removed. Right. So you described it as you have a 10,000 piece puzzle with the manuscripts, uh, but you have 10,100 pieces. Right. So like nothing's really been removed. You just might have some additions here and there. And you got to figure out, you know, there are, there are certainly parts of our English Bible that some people debate mm-hmm. in terms of um, should it be in there or not. I think about the um, woman caught in adultery, the gospel of John, uh, parts of Mark, the ending of Mark as yep. well. And so that's there. But by and large, is anything doctrinally corrupted? Nope. Not a thing. It's like. Yeah, people describe it as like 99.9% yeah, yeah. the same. There's some small totally. differences here that make no difference. And is it fun from a scholarly perspective to be like, should that be in there? Should that not be in there? You know, right. these you know particular parts, they need to mark and the woman called adultery in the gospel of John. I, mean, I think it's John 8. Yeah, yeah, we can have that discussion. I mean, I think it's fun to have those, mm-hmm. those type of discussions from an academic level. But am I put off? Not, not no. one bit. Yeah, you can have so much confidence in the accuracy of of your Bible. Old and New Testament. Old and New. Old and New. So that leads us to philosophy translation, right? Mm -hmm. And it's best to think of this on a spectrum, Um, meaning, you know, think of a sliding scale. And on one side, we have what we might call formal equivalence. Um, uh, That's word for word. Word for word. So... On that side would be like NASB would be more word for word. And then on the other side, we have functional or dynamic equivalence. And that's like thought for thought. Right. And then and then I'm going to add a third category. And it's not, this doesn't land on the scale for me because okay. they're not legit translations for me. Okay. It's like the paraphrase. Sure. So that's your message. Yep. And I'm not knocking Eugene Peterson. Everyone loves Eugene Peterson. He is deceased. And he, I think he's the only one who actually translated <laughs> which I take umbrage with as well. I think things are better done in committee. So all that to say, I'm going to, I'm going to table the paraphrase, the Mm. paraphrase and just say that's on its own scale. I'm going to add a fourth category. Yeah, go for it. It's just the passion, the passion, the passion translation. Never heard of that one. It's just wrong. Why? So it's translated by one guy, but he also like prayed to the spirit to help him like translate things. And it's, uh, it's been, I believe removed from Bible gateway. Oh really? Translation. Oh wow! Yeah, there's a lot of obscure translations out there. Can you can you can you Google like um, some of the more obscure ones, and then I'll kind of explain, and then we'll get back to that here in a second. So we we have think of it on the scale. So um, KJV would be more on the uh, you know literal word mm-hmm. for word formal approach based off of the manuscripts they had. Yeah, based upon the manuscripts they had, and so you have to ask yourself the question like, what's the sweet spot here? It, do I want mm. to roll with the more word for word? Is mm. that getting to the meaning of what the manuscript said? Or do we want to go for thought for thought? Does that actually get to the meaning? So you're sliding down the scale toward the NIV. Sure. Toward the, I mean, let's, I can throw the NLT in this on this scale as well. It's getting the paraphrase. Yeah, it's, that's getting <laughs> it's, to, you yeah. know, to the dynamic equivalence. And, and I think it's worth saying word for word is not always accurate in terms of recommending meaning. Now, that's where I lean. Sure. Um, but we need to realize like 
Greek and Hebrew is so different from English. Sure. As one who's taken both languages and you have as well, you can testify to that, right? I testify. I testify. Yeah. I passed my class. (laughs) I survived. And as one who uses the original languages every week before I preach, um, in terms of my exegesis, I can tell you that if I were just to take it word for word and just, you know, follow it, the you know, especially the Mm. Hebrew, which is much different than than English, more different than I would say the Greek is English. Yeah. You're not gonna have you're gonna be actually more muddled in terms of the meaning than not. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I mean I I think it's good to just lay out the foundation because we've said thought for thought. Yeah, go for it. And and so I just wanted to find the terms. You know, I think one thing we need to recognize is both are trying to capture what the Bible means. Right. One theology or one philosophy is saying you know, we want to be as faithful to what the text actually says. So we're going to do a literal word for word translation. Right. Um, whereas the other ones, like sometimes when you do the word for word translation, the meaning or the intention, you know, gets lost. Right. They're looking at, you know, what's the what's the spirit of the words rather than the actual letter of the words. Mm-hmm. Um and, and so that's that's the paradigm and then the, that's where you get into the spectrum of how literal like the most literal which is this is one of the obscure ones you wanted me to look up yeah most literal i've ever found is young's literal translation yeah yeah, yeah. it is so hard to read because he doesn't care about grammar right. very much it's right. just taking the words it's like an interlinary bible right mm-hmm. where you have the greek and the english right there and the english is just following the greek as it's written in the manuscript yeah. So like, for instance, Genesis one, uh, in the beginning of God's preparing the heavens and the earth, the earth hath existed waste and void and darkness on the face of the deep <laughs> and the spirit of God fluttered on the face of the waters. Yeah. Yeah. It's bit, like, that is the most literal. <laughs> That's choppy water right it's there. It's super choppy and it's hard <laughs> to understand. So, you know, you might lean towards the literal translation, but Correct. if you go too far, now you're you're even going into KJV territory where now all of a sudden there's a barrier to understanding because it's right. so different. Right. So uh, grammar matters. Grammar matters. In terms of getting at the meaning. I found a really good um, chart here online on the interweb. Got NASB, it would put that over in the word for word, amplified, which, yeah, ESV is still over there which they're moving, I'm kind of moving toward thought for thought. RSV, which is a little bit older, KJV there, then the New King James, is, and then the HCSB, which is now the CSB, NRSV, NAB, and then NIV is kind of the middle of the thought for thought. And then moving toward the paraphrase, they they include the paraphrase. You have the NLT, GNT, and then the message on the, on my, what I'm looking at the far right. Right. So that's a spectrum. I, I tend to lean toward, stay like I said, stay away from the paraphrase. I think that's just beginning to betray the meaning. And um, I'm a big ESV guy, so that's what I preach from. Um, I think they do a good job of capturing the meaning while staying as close as they can to the word for word. You know, some people wrestle with that. So that's kind of where I'm at. I, I will say this in seminary, I use the NASB. Mm. But that's because it's a little more academic for me. Sure. Right. And, um, you know, I know some pastors who still use the NASB. That's fine. Um, I think it's a little more muddled than uh, the ESB. What are you looking at? I'm trying to pull up because I gave like the Young's literal translation as, as a, you know, example of like going to literal. 
um, when we're talking about like the message being a paraphrase, yeah, this is where like in Isaiah, and I was trying to look up the specific text, but it mentions like cotton candy, yeah, in the book of Isaiah. There's no cotton, cotton candy, candy in the Hebrew language, and so like that's where you're going from, you know, that thought for thought of you're going too far. Where now you're just you're adding words that would be so foreign to the original readers. Um, I believe it's the section where it's like you, you 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 eating like empty empty food or worthless food or something like that. Mm-hmm. I uh, looked up uh, obscure Bible translations mm-hmm. and there's Klingon. Oh yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that. There's Lolcat. Yeah, that came up too. I don't know what's the Lolcat. So Lolcat is a specific meme trend that you know probably happens. I would say in the mid 2010s. Um, but it would be like, you know, random, random stuff, stuff. Like you had ceiling cat and basement cat and what it's the, like, I has cheeseburger kind of meme types things. So, so weird. Yeah. Another one is the I, word on the street. Uh, yeah. I believe that one kind of takes more of a urban language. Yeah. It's, uh, Robert, Rob Lacey, an actor and performed poet, 2003 modern day version of the Bible struck down to a more manageable 500 pages all right yeah these ones we do not recommend no pigeon english i mean what's this oh yeah oh, oh if you're a yes. church goer you probably won't find yourself saying ripskin if you uh oh man but that's the that's what this bible is it's totally something other one moment yeah you good so there's a <laughs> no, no 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 john one <laughs> pigeon i believe this is the the pigeon one no yes 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 so what do we what do we do about these these obscure ones the time everything wins start he had one guy god we talk that's who him god on that guy the stick uh together on the guy stay god for real kind what yeah it's like hawaiian pigeon language or something like that interesting mm-hmm. so there's a lot out there yep and and then the here to be fair to be fair, uh, these 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 four that we just mentioned are new to me. The question becomes: Are they capturing the meaning of the original text? Mm-hmm. That is the most important question. So if what you just said captured it in terms of linguistics, right, and uh-huh. what a person understands and how they speak and how they think and what they know, then fine, I can let it fly. If it's truly capturing the original meaning, so mm-hmm. there's different. You know, iterations of English, right? You go to you go across the get it on a boat and cross the ocean here, go to the Atlantic. Obviously, people in England speak English, but there's different words they'll use or whatever else have you. And so I got I got I got to want to be fair. Does it? That's the underlying question. Does it capture the original meaning? Now that right there seems really odd to me. But you tell me, you know more than me apparently on this. Uh, I know how to Google more than you on that. <laughs> um, yeah. Oof, so, I do not think that captures at the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Yeah. And the word was yeah. God. Oh my goodness. I'm just trying to be fair to the, with the, sure. you know, at the end of the day, is it captured the meaning of the text? Mm-hmm. I would say no to that. Probably not. No, <laughs> just not saying. that one, but big picture. Okay. What are some uh, translations you'd like to use? All right. Bible translation uh, recommendation. So um, ESV is one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, just cause, it was 
it was also one of the first so i'm a little biased towards it because it was also like the first study bible i bought yeah me too actually. like i got saved and i was like i want to study bible and i just googled like top study bibles and esv study bibles number one so mine I was the esv that. reformation study bible Ooh, well i wasn't it was like a tan book yeah, yeah. i love that study bible mm. um so i like the esv one um because it is still more thought for thought i i will agree with you um not thought for thought word for word word. game um word for word tends to be in my opinion a a better philosophy yeah um so on the scale you're gonna lean in on that more than thought for thought um but i also like the esv better than the nasb because i find the nasb kind of clunky and hard to read at times it's choppy it's a little choppy um but there's some things that the nasb does that i enjoy like capitalizing the pronouns of he and him Mm -hmm. when talking about god Mm-hmm. Um, and then my other translation is probably CSB. So CSB is then going a little bit more towards word uh, thought for thought, but it's still in the word for word category. Yeah, yeah. It again, tries to again, it's that. on a spectrum, right? It tries to strike that balance, and I really enjoy that one as well. Yeah. Um, an example of of that is like the ESV says in Ephesians, uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, um, by the will of God. Yeah. No. And then the CSB says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by, by God's will. Oh, sure. So the, there's a slight yeah. change in the phrase. It means the same thing. But um, sometimes, sometimes the slight change makes a big difference. You know, when you see that. And it means like what's possessive, for example, like who owns what, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, that's the genitive case, you know, within, within the Greek. And so sometimes those slight changes make massive difference in terms of um exegesis mm-hmm. right so uh i don't i don't disagree in terms of that particular instance but there are times where i don't you have to ask the question when you look at say three different let's take the nasb the csb and the esv and you read any particular verse and they're all different mm-hmm. what do you do you know how do you begin to discern what's the most accurate and that's the question at hand sure so I, I use the ESV, like I said, for preaching. My devotions are in the CSB. Okay. And then in seminary, like I said, I use the NASB. I did use the NASB a lot. I still I still will go back to that when I'm preparing for a sermon. I want to see, look at a different translation than the ESV. Mm-hmm. NASB, or the NASB is there for me. Sure. What do you think of this? Mm-hmm. Um, what about the NIV for youth? What do you mean? So some people are I have seen or argue that the NIV, that's yeah, going more towards thought for thought. And so it's a little bit easier to read, um, especially for younger, younger kids. Here's what I would say. Our kids are smarter than we give them credit for. And I'm not a fan of. Depends if they go to public school. Oh, <laughs> why'd you go there? Because ah, it was right there. It was just, it was that low hanging fruit. And I just couldn't resist. Listen, if you, if you're in public school, you send a kid's public school. That's fine. Logan has an opinion though. Golly. Uh, I was I used to. Um, I went to public school. I can bash my own public school. Yeah, my wife did too. Uh, she's really smart. Yes, yeah, she is. Uh, yeah, she's super smart. Uh, so here's what I would say. I'm not a fan of specialized Bibles. What do you mean? So um, the ESV Women's Bible. Oh, okay. that would exist, or the NIV Youth Bible, sure. or the CSB Military Bible. Whatever. Okay. I mean. It's it's the Bible or it's not. Now right. now, if you want to like th- make th- marginal notes, sure, you know, whatever. I, I think the reason you might push 
back against that is you're you're kind of bringing a framework to the Bible, and uh, it's kind of like trying to apply the Bible in that specific area, but it can fall into what's called eisegesis. Right. You know, so if you're if you're having like a military Bible, you might take a text that's really not relevant to the military and try to apply it there. Maybe. Right. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, totally. It's like uh, we're just trying to put a square peg into a round hole. Sure. And I'm just kind of like, eh, eh, I don't know. That's just me, though. And and don't get me wrong. Like I, we have like I've seen the, I've seen quality. Here's what I would say. Find a good philosophy of, of translating and stick with that. Mm-hmm. And and it's the word of God. And it's going to apply whether you're a youth, whether you're an adult, whether you're a student, whether you're in the military, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman. And it's the word of God. So mm-hmm. I don't need to mess with it any more than that. It just, it's, it seems more commercial to me sure. than anything else. It's more like, Hey, how can we make a buck? Oh, let's make a women's study Bible. Oh yeah. Let's make a men's study oh, Bible. It, it seems more commercial than anything else. Oh, it for sure is. It is a hundred percent about making money. Cause you got to remember these, these, they're still companies. They're still businesses that Correct. need to make money, but so. they're Christian businesses. <laughs> Right, but you're not. Yeah, so you no, just I'm come joking. Up with them, like they still want to make money. Yeah, so yeah, they're Christian businesses. They get to make money and maybe write it as a tax write-off. I don't know how they work. Yeah. What uh, else do you got? Um, I want to know where you would start drawing the line of like I would read this Bible, but it's not my preferred Bible. So I'm gonna start word for word, and I'm gonna start moving to the right according to this graph I pulled up. Where where I would be like no more, no more, too far. Yep. NASB. Good. So, yeah. Amplified. Uh, And for those that don't know the Amplified, basically what they do is, like, they'll come to a word and give, like, multiple definitions of that word. Usually. That's usually what the Amplified Bible means. So, like, on a literal perspective, I get it. Sure. But it muddles things too much for me. Okay. It's not a natural read. Okay. I think the NASB does is much better than the Amplified. Okay. ESV? Yeah. RSV? No. You wouldn't read the RSV? I'm not saying I wouldn't read it. I'm saying, like, would I recommend it? Okay. I would say no. I think we have better translations than the RSV. KJV? Absolutely not. (laughs) And I I alienated half of my friends at church. (laughs) NKJV? No. Why? Because they're not... It removes that language barrier. A little bit. I mean, it maintains some of it, but, but to me, it, are they maximizing all the sources that exist? They don't. Sure. And it's, and it's mind numbing. Like, why wouldn't you? It's, it's more, tra- it's more for the sake of tradition. That's what it is. Okay. It's like, we want to stick with this particular, and fine. I'm not, and like we said earlier, like we said earlier, Logan, mm. if someone be like, is this reliable? I would say yes. However, I think there are much better translations that exist. HCSB. No. Okay. But the CSB, yes. Yes. Which is closer towards the... Well, and the reason why is is like the Holman Standard Bible. I think they... Homer Christian Standard Holman, Bible. Holman, sorry. The CSB is just an update of that. So yeah. let's, get with the, let's go with the update. I don't think there's anything that's being lost with the update. NRSV. <sighs> 50-50 on the fence. NAB. Not familiar with that one. NIV. No, no. All right, you're you're pretty you're really hard in the 
in the word for word then. Yeah, yeah. Because you cut it off basically in and, like the ESV. And the TNT and IV, just so you know, that was like, I don't know when that came out. Oh, but that's, uh, that's right after the NIV, TNT. Yeah, what they did is they wanted to make um, the Bible as gender neutral as possible. Mm. And it's like, I mean, this is before wokeness existed. Like, you know. Sure. They, they, and, and, and by the way, Zondervan was bought by some big conglomerate. Um, and so they've lost. Zondervan to me is just whatever. So any, any other ones? Uh, no, because then it's going to go probably to like the NLT. No, which... no, no, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. Okay. No. So you can kind of get the perspective for us. <laughs> yes. We're definitely very hard into the word for word. Here's, so. Here would be my experience. Like those who have any have any knowledge of the original manuscripts of the Greek and Hebrew, um, you, you tend to be more on the literal end mm-hmm. because you, you see what's going on. You see how things are translated. You see the exegesis that's going on. Um, when you can get to the meaning of the text in the Greek, you begin mm. to understand why they, why pushing toward that literal, toward literal, tends to be more reliable. Sure. So well, that was a fun little exercise. Hope it didn't alienate you, all the KJV people out there and the NIV people. I mean, I just passed public school, so. <laughs> yeah. You bashed public school. Yeah, uh, that one was on me. <laughs> uh, we don't edit these, do we? Nope. I don't. Nope. All right, Logan, how do we help people choose a Bible? That'd be the final question I want to go over today. What are some principles we can talk through? And by the way, when I was preparing my notes for this, I was uh, I was sourcing uh, Grasping God's Word, mm-hmm. an old uh, hermeneutics textbook that I used in, back in 2006 or something like that. Sure. So I just want to give credit where credit's due, um, Grasping God's Word. And uh, from Grasping God's Word, they picked up these principles that thought was helpful so so someone comes to you and says hey how do i know how to pick a bible sure here's four principles choose a translation that uses modern english (laughs) (laughs) i love that one all right so just threw the kjv right out it did okay so that's number one i'd I'd probably agree okay all right number two choose a translation that uses the hebrew and greek as source text yeah so, and the reason for that is we want to go back to as close to the originals as possible. Yeah, in the Reformation, they called this ad fontes, back to the sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we want to go ad fontes, back to the sources. Um, that rules out, though, the Catholic Bible. Sure. And I'm not sure the Eastern Orthodox, what they got going on. Uh, I would think they go Greek, though. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, but um, that would also mean don't have a Bible that translates from the Greek Septuagint, wouldn't it? Well, that's a whole different. <laughs> Here, everyone's like, "What does he mean by the Greek Septuagint?" Greek Septuagint is um, a Greek translation, a Greek translation of the, of Old, the Testament, Old Testament, which I highly recommend, which I completely yeah. affirm. Yeah, I see it over there. I have it over here. Yeah. When I when I do exegesis in the Old Testament, I actually like to pull my Septuagint out mm. and uh, do my do some exegesis there. I don't mind doing the Hebrew, but I really like. And and the reason for that is that the we have. Um, the Greek Septuagint, we have a lot of texts for that. Where when it comes to the Hebrew texts, they're newer, uh, not as old, I guess. And uh, not saying they're not reliable, just saying there's there's a lot to be gained from going to the Greek Septuagint. So thanks for that, Logan. Yep, no problem. Just throwing a wrench where I can. All right, appreciate that. Um, so choose translation, use modern English, um, use a translation that goes from the original Greek and Hebrew, which, by the way, is the Septuagint. 
because it's written in Greek. Uh, oh. Committee over individuals. I think it's sure. important. Yep, I think. Uh, I don't want the Sean translation. You don't want the Sean translation. No, you do not. Uh, and then finally, choose a translation that makes sense for your context. And I think that's a helpful category. Okay. Like, if, for example, you know, if I am, if I'm in a nursing home, sure, and I'm with a bunch of gray hairs, um, shoulder folks who are so used to the well KJV, well seasoned, well seasoned, wise. wise. And let's say like they all grew up with the KJV, KJV. and they're asking me to preach to them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use the KJV. Sure. Uh, I'm not betraying, you know, any really hardcore principles, even though I don't personally use it, but context can, can, can matter here a little bit. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. And that's, it's not going to be the case for every situation you're in, but I can see just being mindful of that. So those are four recommendations of how to pick a Bible translation. Anything else you'd add? Study, study Bibles. Oh yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. So study Bibles, for those that don't know, they basically have notes, usually at the bottom of the page, that provide a commentary of the text that you just read. I've heard people push back on study Bibles. I think they are super helpful. Mm -hmm. I understand the pushback because here's the thing. It's like you can get a study Bible and you'll read the notes and you'll basically just take those notes as this is is the correct translation. You can't take it like that. It's not... It's not, or not, not the correct translation, the correct interpretation. There you go. You need to realize that if you get a study Bible, this is this person's interpretation of the text. Right. And it can be super helpful. I was really helped by the Reform Study Bible, mm-hmm. or Reformation Study Bible. I was also helped by the ESV Study Bible. And I think for, for a newer Christian, especially when you're going to the Old Testament and like you're going yeah. through Levitical law, I think study Bibles can be extremely useful. I don't disagree. Here's here's be the one caveat I would add. You have to be extremely aware of the ideology or the theology in which the study Bible is coming from. For sure. So yeah, I think a popular one is the MacArthur Study Bible. Sure. That's great, but there are some things that I totally disagree with on with John MacArthur, right? In terms of maybe some eschatology or something like that. And so you have to have that awareness, and that's part of the problem. He's like someone becomes a new believer if the Lord saves him or her. And uh, they don't have that awareness. Sure. And so I'm not saying no to the study Bible. It's no different than grabbing a commentary off your shelf. Right. And being like, you know, I'm going to read Genesis and I'm read this commentary. Right. But some it. people aren't, don't, can't afford seven commentary right. books. And But I, I just think there needs to be an awareness of what the theology is of these study notes. For sure. So, yeah. And for instance, the, there are some commentaries that are off of a single person, mm-hmm. the John MacArthur, yeah, which right. I believe is just literally his sermons. Right. Kind of just put in there. Um, but then there's the ESV study Bible, which has multiple different contributors, right? Um, which can be helpful to help keep a balance. Yeah, yeah. And I think they've ESV has taken basically all those study notes and created a commentary series out of mm-hmm. it, which I got some of them, those books on my shelf. So not not it's not a no against study Bibles. It's just be aware of you know what's going on behind it. Yep, behind the scenes. So for sure, I think that's good. Um, I think we've covered most of it, man. And uh, yeah, that's it. So let's land this plane. Uh, anything else you want to bash before we're done? Um, trying to think of something in particular that's com- random, but nothing comes to mind to bash. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Oh, Ford trucks. They're crap and they're always in the shop. <sighs> Why are you always making fun of my Ford F-150? Because you always have problems with it.
No. Brake so pads. It's just a, a, that's regular brake problems, man. That ain't like a Ford issue. Mm-hmm. Those brake pads could go in a, on a Chevy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, made from the same factory. Good night. All right, everyone. Buy Ford. Don't buy Chevy. Um, buy Ram. Uh, I like Dodge. Yeah, I do like Dodge. So that's uh, all random. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope that we were a blessing to you. Uh, we hope we were cleared some of the uh, history of Bible translations, why it's important. And then uh, as you as you look for a Bible, you know, hey, it, let us know what, what Bibles you're reading. So put yeah. that in the comment sections. Let us know. And uh, be sure to go to cornfieldtheology.com. Go to the bottom of the page there, and you can sign up to receive the latest blog or podcast. It goes right to your inbox. We don't spam you. Just every time we upload something, just kind of heads your way. And then uh, smash the like button. Button. Give us five stars. Hey, if you don't like us, that's fine. And you know you can give us a thumbs down. No, don't. Oh, it's don't. not worth your time. Not worth your time. Okay. Yeah. Don't waste the energy. It, yeah. <laughs> Listen, if we bothered you, you you have better things to do than to rate poorly. So yeah. just. Just go do something. Cornfield Theology is a ministry of Redemption Hill Church, which we meet in the Des Moines Metro here. You can find us at 10 a.m. at Radiant Elementary, located technically in Urbandale, but it's a walkie school, and we can throw a stone into Clive. And we're two minutes away from Grimes. So figure out those boundaries uh, if you can, and let me know how that goes. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, all the relevant outlets. And Amazon. And, no one listens to Amazon. I do now. Do you really? Yep. Why? Uh, because Brooks convicted me that mooching off my family from my Spotify account is stealing. <laughs> and so because I have Prime, I can use Amazon Music, which is okay. way worse. Yeah. yeah the, the Brooks and the Holy Spirit working on, your, on you. That's good. Well, thanks, everyone. God bless and uh, peace out. Until next time, this is Cornfield Theology. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.